Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And we're in Genesis 36. Last week we were in Genesis 35, last Sunday morning, and we finished up really the life of Jacob. And this morning we were in Genesis 37, we skipped a chapter, and we began the life of Joseph. And uh, I'm putting Genesis 36 in the series on Jacob's life because I didn't really think I should, we should just make up a whole new one-week series on Esau's life. There is one chapter in between Jacob and Joseph that is, is, is given to Esau. It tells us a little bit about Esau. Now you remember who Esau is. Esau is Jacob's twin. And so it's why he's, Esau's getting his message in the Jacob's Journey series because Esau was a part of Jacob's journeys and a part of Jacob's life. And, and so we're going to look, there's one chapter here that talks about Esau, and if we're being honest, many of us this week, I did, and I know many of you did, we began a new Bible reading schedule. We started reading through the Bible in some form or fashion, and, and uh, for me, I'm doing it on, I actually signed up for two of the church's plans, really on one of them that I did last year, so I can just see and comment and see what folks are saying. And on the other one, the Bible Project plan, um, I'm on I'm, uh, this morning, I watched one of those videos and then read through Genesis. And I've done that, I've probably started, I've been saved, it's been, oh man, it's been, I guess, 35 years. And probably at least 30 of those years, I have begun January reading in the book of Genesis. And I, I have read Genesis and Proverbs probably more than any of other two books in the Bible. Genesis, because it's where I would start every year, and Proverbs, uh, my pastor growing up, he had a saying, he would say, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. And uh, just like they say, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And he would say, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, whatever the date, uh, d- date of the month is, if it's, if it's January 7th, read Proverbs 7. It's a book of wisdom. It'll take you about five to ten minutes to read, and every day if you'll commit five to ten minutes, you're guaranteed to be reading good scriptural wisdom. Now, it wasn't, it's not the only book I, read on, I would read on a daily basis, but, but for many years I would read Proverbs, and I still do, on a daily basis. And so Genesis and Proverbs, and I've probably, the third book I've read the most is probably Leviticus, and the books that have probably stopped me reading the Bible the most. I'm sorry, I should have said Exodus is the one I've read the third most. The ones that have stopped me reading the Bible the most, probably Leviticus and Numbers. They get tough. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they have a lot of genealogies and a lot of laws and a lot of things that I'm like, what does this have to do with me today? Now, the longer I've been saved, the more I study God's Word, the more I do appreciate those books and and showing so much of God's character and His nature, His order, His care, and the details of our lives. But Leviticus numbers, those genealogies, some of those things can be tough to read when you come to them. 
That is much of what Genesis 36 is today. We're not, this morning we read all 36 verses of chapter 37. We're not going to read all of the verses of chapter 36 tonight. You can do that on your own time. It's all of Esau's wives and his kids and who they were and, and his grandkids and where they went. It's the genealogies of Esau. It's one of those chapters that can be difficult to read. And we can, when we come to it, kind of wonder, what does this have to do with me today? It gives us some really important historic details, but is a little low on the practical application side of how I'm going to live my life this week. And, and so, of course, we know Jacob, Esau's younger twin brother, had his name changed to Israel, and Jacob's 12 sons became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. We were talking about that this morning. Jacob's family, Jacob becomes Israel, has a rich history that continues to this day. The nation of Israel and God's chosen people that he's used throughout history to bring forth his son, the Messiah, through Israel, all the nations of the world have been blessed. Jacob, a rich history for millennia. Esau, not so much. Really, after this chapter, we're rarely, if ever, going to hear of Esau again in the rest of Scripture. We'll hear a couple references throughout Scripture, and almost always, universally, it's in a negative light. Talking about don't be like Esau. We'll see the Edomites, which were the descendants of, of Esau. We'll see the Edomites there as fighting against Israel, so J Esau's descendants fighting against Jacob's. But through Jacob's family, great blessing, Esau's story, very, very different. Now, Esau was the firstborn. He was the one that was supposed to receive the blessing and the birthright from his dad. But Esau made some foolish choices that shaped the path of his life in destructive ways and led to very different outcomes for his children, his grandchildren, and future descendants. Esau's life was filled with pain, with missed blessing, no relationship with God, really a secular, selfish sinful man. Secular, selfish, sinful would be three words that might summarize the life and family of Esau. What a contrast to his twin brother Jacob. With Jacob, now Jacob had his own mistakes and his own faults and failures, but with Jacob, we might think of words like spiritual and godly and blessed and fruitful and from him came Jesus, the Messiah, through his bloodline. Esau, the exact opposite. What a contrast these two brothers, born on the same day, from the same mom, in the same home, but two very different life paths, two very different outcomes. And tonight I want to bring you a message, as really this is the last message in the Jacob's Journeys series. I want to bring you a message tonight. Where will your choices lead you? Where? Will your choices lead you? We're going to see three decisions that, that Esau made that will largely determine the direction of your life and of mine. Will largely determine the blessings that we receive or don't receive, the impact our lives make or don't make. We're going to see three decisions, three areas where Esau chose a certain path and it led to a very different outcome than Jacob, his brother, and the same decisions that you and I are faced with in, in every generation. Chapter 36, verse number one, the Bible says, now these are the generations of Esau. 
uh, who is Edom. Again, just so you understand, as you're reading through Genesis, for those that are starting on a Bible reading plan that's starting in Genesis, uh, the descendants of Esau became known as the Edomites. The Edomites, as you read through the Old Testament, anytime you see the Edomites, you'll see that they are the enemies of God's people. They are at war with the Israelites, with the Jewish people. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who became Israel. And uh, we see that they lived, the Edomites lived in direct opposition to God's plan and God's people throughout their history. So what choices led Esau to the unfulfilled, ungodly life that he lived, and what decisions will determine where our lives lead. Look at verse number two. Would you read the first, uh, read up to the word Canaan, up to that semicolon there in your Bible aloud with me, starting with Esau up to Canaan. Would you read that aloud? Ready? Begin. Esau took his wives of the daughters, of the daughters of who? Canaan. Now Canaan is God's promised land. It was the region, part of what was Canaan is where Israel is today, modern day Israel. That is God's promised land. By the way, God has made a covenant with his people for that land. There is a property promise to the Israelite people for that land, and then there is a spiritual promise of purpose that God would use the Jewish nation to bring blessing to the rest of the world. And so when you hear things like, well, they're occupiers on the news today. They don't deserve, belong in that land. They weren't there until 1948. Anybody that is saying anything like that is, is biblically illiterate and does not understand the history of the Bible. God made a promise, a covenant in modern day what we would call Israel, and actually much more than what is modern day Israel that has now been taken by other nations. He made a promise of Canaan. So Canaan is a good place, but the Canaanites were not. The Canaanites were the people that lived there before the Israelites came to dwell. Do you remember um, with the, the, the 12 spies that went to spy in Canaan, that, te- that kid song, 10 were bad and 2 were good? What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good? That children's song? What happened? They went in there, and do you remember? They were scared to death of the people they saw there. They didn't trust God. The people they saw there, some of them were the Canaanites. Now, there were some others, the Hittites, the Perizzites, but they saw the Canaanites. The Canaanites were people that were against God. And, And what do we see in verse number two? Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan. Put, put a marker here in chapter 36, skip back nine chapters to the last verse of chapter 27. Look at chapter 27, if you will, Genesis 27. What's the big deal about that verse that Esau, that Esau took his wives? By the way, the fact that that, that, that word wife is plural, that's problem number one for Esau. That was not God's plan. Polygamy was not God's plan. He took of him wives, but then of the daughters of Canaan, why is that a big deal? Look at Genesis 27, verse number 46. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? Basically, Esau has broken our hearts. We talked about that, when your children break your heart. That was that passage a couple of months ago. Now look at at that, uh, the, uh, the next verse, chapter 28, verse 1. 
And Isaac called Jacob, Esau has already chosen a wife that he should not have. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of what? Canaan. Now you say, well, maybe Esau didn't know. The only problem with that is Abraham made it very clear. Esau's grandpa made it very clear for his son Isaac. He made his servant promise, you're not going to take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And and Isaac made it clear to his boys, don't marry of the daughters of Canaan. But what led Esau and his descendants to a completely different outcome? And where, where will your choices lead you? The first major choice that led Esau down a, a wrong path, number one, was wrong relationships. Wrong relationships. Esau's grandpa had told his son Isaac not to marry a Canaanite. Isaac had made it clear he didn't want his sons marrying Canaanites. But Esau did what he wanted, and it impacted his life in every way. May I stop and say, and I know this is not some revolutionary thought, but just a good reminder, and especially for those that are unmarried, those that might be single or teenagers or young adults or even children, as very soon in the next 10, 15 years, you may be making decisions like this. May I just stop and say, who you marry? and who you allow to be your closest friends will largely dictate the direction of your life. Who you marry and who you allow to be your closest friends will largely dictate the direction of your life. And how did Esau go so far different from Jacob, the decisions he made with his relationships? He took to wife of the daughters of Canaan. It's why God commanded Solomon not to marry unbelieving wives. Why? He said, lest they turn your heart away from God. And go back and read the story of Solomon. What happened? They did exactly what God said they would do. They turned his heart away. Well, I've got these friends, and I'm going to reach them for Christ. And by the way, we should be witnesses, but we should be very careful about the close influences that we allow. Very often, it is not the godly one that makes the impact in the ungodly ones. Very often, it's the ungodly one that brings down the godly one. You put a a rotten apple in a barrel of good apples, what happens? The good apples don't make the rotten apple good, usually the rotten apple spreads to the other good apples. And what happened here is Esau had chosen some wrong relationships. My pastor growing up would often say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends. Now, I've told our children, and I I believe we ought to be friendly to everyone, but we ought to be close friends with the right ones. We ought to be kind to everyone. We ought to be witnesses to everyone. But the ones that you're allowing to speak into your life, the ones that you're spending most of the time with, the ones that you're doing uh, life with, the activities with, are they drawing you closer to God or farther from Him? As believers, we ought not be stuck up, well, you, you don't meet my measurements, so I can't talk to you. No. We ought to be kind. We ought to be witnesses. We ought, but we ought to be very careful and intentionally surround ourselves with those that are seeking to please God with their lives. And the same is true, that's in our friendships, but the same is true in our relationships. May I say, believer, guard your influences. I've had people in just the eight years that I've been here that have made major decisions to leave our ministry, and later on down the road, a year or two or three later, or maybe to do something with their children, to make a decision here or there, they've come back and talked to me, and they say, looking back, I didn't realize how strong the influence of that person was in my life, and we made a decision 
decision that impacted our lives that we wish we could change now that I look back on it, but it was because of who I had allowed to influence me. For those who are single, I want you to understand the power and importance of who you marry and how that decision can propel you to greater heights for God or can hold you back from ever fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Pastor Sammy, I'm thinking of some folks that are good friends of ours that we went to Bible college with. They went to Bible college with a heart for God, and God has called me to do this, and I have a heart to preach His Word and to be in missions, and I want to do that. And because of friends that they chose and or a, a, a lady or a young man that they chose to marry, their lives took very different paths. Don't underestimate this. I want to stop in here and just give a little bit of, 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 step out of the text a little bit based on this thought and give a little bit of some practical handles. I want to give you some dating principles because it's such an important subject and the person you choose to marry will largely dictate the direction of your life. Can I just give you a few practical, and this is mainly for those that are not married right now. Um, if you're married, you probably shouldn't be dating anyone other than your wife, and so this is already done, or your husband. Uh, but for those that are on Mary, I want to just give you a few thoughts on dating. Dating should be, number one, for the right purpose. You see, the world teaches you all kinds of different things about dating. And what most of the world teaches you is that dating is for fun, and dating is for you, and dating is for what, how it makes you feel, and try this one out, and try like it's a pair of shoes, or it's a car you can test drive, and go live with that one for a little while, and go do that, and enjoy all of the benefits of marriage without any of the commitments of marriage, and date that one for a little while, and then when it doesn't work out, go date that one. But dating isn't just to have fun, and dating isn't just to find someone that makes you feel good emotionally, or mentally, or physically, or, or, or warm and fuzzy, or we just have a lot in common. What is the purpose of dating? The purpose of dating is to find out if that person is who God would have you to marry. Dating, date for the right purpose. It's not just something, well, and you can be friends again with everybody, but it's not just for fun. If we're dating, it should be with the idea that the reason that I would like to spend more time with this person, talk to this person, get to know this person a little better, is to find out, could this be who God would have me to marry? That's a very different mindset of how you approach a relationship than just, I want to go have some fun with somebody of the opposite gender. So date for the right purpose. The purpose is to find out if that's who God would have you to marry. Secondly, date at the right time. So if that's the purpose, to find out if that's who God has you to marry, then guess what? The time for dating is when you are somewhere in the range of life ready to get married. So probably you shouldn't have some, and I understand it's, it's part of God's, the way God makes us, and it's part of uh, the way that the physical process happens. Young men in sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth grade, and young ladies in sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth grade, all of a sudden, girls are maybe tense, it's different for every kid, maybe a little later, a little earlier, but girls that had cooties no longer have cooties. And all of a sudden, people that we didn't care about at all, that we didn't notice ever, all of a sudden we noticed them. By the way, that's God's plan and process for growing a child from a child to an adolescent to, a, to an adult. That's part of God's plan. You're supposed to, guys, begin to notice girls at some point in your life, and girls begin to notice guys. But be careful. When I'm talking about dating, getting into a serious, exclusive relationship between a guy and a girl, when you're not in a place to strongly consider marriage. Why? Because what will end up happening is you will, you, very often, and, and this is coming from someone who had my first crush on the lady that became my wife when I was in seventh grade, and she was in sixth grade. And I would call us 
high school sweethearts, and we went on dates in high school. Now, we, we, it was a different day. It makes me sound like I'm 98 years old. It was a different day in that we didn't have phones, that we were texting 100 times a day, and we were constantly in, in contact and, and on the phone and pictures and every detail. Here's what I ate for breakfast. Like, that wasn't happening. But on the same side of it, we did go on dates in high school. But it's one reason that I don't encourage serious, exclusive dating in high school, where it's just this guy and this girl always together off in a corner somewhere. If there is a crush or if there is some interest there, do that within a group. Have fun together. Enjoy your high school years together. Enjoy that time. And it doesn't mean that there can't be a guy that you're interested in or a girl that you're interested in, but be careful about giving your heart away when you're not in a place, maturity-wise, to give your heart away. What often happens there is broken hearts, wasted emotions, wasted energy, and often then you look back and say, I missed out on some really good times because I didn't talk to anybody else. I was just stuck to this guy or this girl through that entire time. So dating should be for the right purpose and at the right time. Uh, But dating at the wrong time, again, it often leads to broken hearts, wasted emotions, wasted time, wasted finances. And often it leads to regrets. It leads us to sinful actions. Be careful. And 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 I'm not I'm not in the families that are represented here. You're you're listen to your parents. They are your parents. They'll answer to God for you. I'm not called to oversee and guide every family in here. But I would just say, parents, help through that process and help your children to learn to guard their hearts, to guard their minds. Dating should be at the right time. I don't have it in my notes, but I want to just throw in, for the right time, for the right time period, it seems that in this generation, nobody wants to make a commitment. Everybody wants to enjoy the benefits of dating or the benefits of marriage without the commitments of marriage. And we have people that will be dating for a decade. How long have you been dating? Oh, 10 years. And often that's because in our generation, in our society, it's accepted that you live together while you're dating. I'm just here to tell you, I might sound archaic or outdated, the Bible still teaches that the physical aspect of marriage, the physical aspect between a man and a woman should be saved for within marriage. It shouldn't be during dating. And by the way, when you get married, it should still only be within marriage. God intended for that to be between one man and one woman within the bounds of marriage. And when you date for extended long periods of time, often you tempt yourself above that which you are able. You begin to take liberties that God never intended for you to take liberties with outside of marriage. So date for the right time. And I also, I just want to, again, I'm meddling a little bit. I'm I'm getting away from the text and just giving some practical pastoral advice here. But I want to say, this as well. It seems, and not just seems, you can read about it in studies. They they have studies that are done. Adolescence is lasting into like mid-20s, late-20s, and everybody is putting off. We have found community, and we have found ways digitally. We have found worlds, and we have found ways to interact with people, and we have, there's all kinds of things out there that give a cheap substitute of physical pleasure online and digital, and because of that, very often uh, we are pushing away, and guys have no interest in dating a girl, and they're not asking somebody out, and they're not pursuing that. Well, I've got to get my life going. I've got to get my career going. I've got to get all of my finances in order. I've got to buy a house. And if you can do all of that, great. But may I just stop and say, those are not prerequisites to getting married. Very often, it would be good for young people to, if it's God's plan, and we'll get there in a minute, and it's done in the right way, for them to come together without a whole lot and build their life together. People have been doing that for thousands of years. Your parents probably did that. 
Most of your parents probably didn't have a few hundred grand in the bank with a full house and a house paid off and their careers moving. What happens when that happens is we put it off for years and years and years and years. And again, I know that every, God has a different plan for everyone. For some, God has the plan of singleness. I'm not saying it's wrong to get married in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying if the reason that's when you're pushing it off till is for selfish reasons, I don't think that's wise. Well, I've, because what often happens then is you begin to build your own life very independent, and it's really tough to bring someone else into that. So it should be done for the right purpose, at the right time, for the right time. Don't date never-endingly. And uh, if, if that's who God has led you to, at some point with godly counsel, and we'll get there in a minute, uh, begin to build that life together. Make that commitment. Guys, step out and, and be a guy and, and be a man and take some lead in those things. Number, uh, letter C. We're having fun yet on dating? Letter C, with the right person. Dating should be for the right purpose, at the right time, with the right person. Who's the right person? Number one, someone that's saved. Believers ought not date unbelievers. You ought not be unequally yoked. Again, what will normally happen in that situation is, one, if the believer keeps their faith, they will do it completely separate from their, hus their, their spouse, husband, or wife, and that's not God's plan. You're supposed to become one. Or very often what will happen is the one with strong faith will end up weakening that for the one without faith. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The right person is someone that is saved. The right person, I would say, is someone that is similar. What do I mean by that? Shared beliefs. They're similar doctrinally. Do you believe the same things? The things that you hold true in your life, well, he's fun. She's cute. We have a good time. We laugh when we're together. Great. But, but marriage is a little deeper than that. And sharing your life with someone is a little deeper than that. And the more similarities there are often, in, in, and when I say similarities, I'm not necessarily talking about like hair color or, or height or anything like that. I'm talking about purpose and philosophy and belief system. And you have the same passions in life. And you have the same belief about marriage, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And this isn't a trial run. And, and you both believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. And you, you understand biblical roles in, in, within marriage. You understand those things. And, and if, if church is a priority to you, which you're here on a Sunday night, so I'd imagine for most of you, church and God's work and God's Word is a big priority in your life. Is it for them? Kurt Skelly told our teens at teen camp this summer, he said, don't date a project. Now here's the reality, none of us are finished products, and part of marriage is that together we grow together. But what was he saying? Don't date someone that has all of these things that you know is not really what you're looking for or who you want, and you think, I'm going to fix them. No, if, if the Holy Spirit's not strong enough to fix them, you're probably not going to fix them. You don't get married to fix someone. We let God fix us before and during and after marriage. But, but somebody, there's some similarities there, shared purpose, shared passions, shared desires in life, shared priorities, shared doctrines. Dating should be for the right purpose at the right time with the right person in the right way. Dating in the right way, I would suggest, number one, with parents' blessing. With your parents' blessing, I've heard it said, you marry the family, and guess what? It's true. Now, we don't think about that often when we're dating. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry him. She comes with everything she came from. He comes with the family he came from. And by the way, you want it to be that way. You want to have a support system and a family around you. But you, you want to, as you date, again, you look in the Bible, do you have your parents' blessing in this relationship. 
Do you have her parents' blessing in this relationship? You know what, your parents, they love you more than you know, and they see things you don't see. Are you letting, if you're a young person that's single or a young adult, let godly leaders speak into your lives in this most important decision of your life? Let them speak into it. Seek godly counsel. With let godly, they'll see things you can't. There's a reason that we say, love is blind. Don't we say that? Love is blind, right? And someone said, but marriage is a real eye-opener. The reason we say love is blind is because often when we're in the heat of, of a relationship, the emotions of a relationship, we'll gloss over everything. We can't see clearly. We can't think clearly. We're, we're love-struck. We're love-drunk, love sometimes people will call it. And oh, she's the greatest thing ever. And oh, and I hope you feel that way. Great. But are you letting people that aren't as emotionally foggy as you are right now speak into your relationship? What do you think about how we're handling this? What, what do you think about this? Here's a question we have. Let that date in the right way with godly leadership's blessing and input in your life with prayer. Again, the model that we see in our society of dating is, is she, do, I, do I find her attractive? Do I find him attractive? Do we have fun? Does he have money? Do, does, is it, you know, what, these, these really superficial external things is what draws us to people. Now, by the way, God made it that we find certain people attractive, and that's God-given, and there's nothing wrong. I'm not telling you, find the person that you could stand the least, that gets on your nerves the most, and that's who I'm supposed to marry. No, those things matter. Those things are, but they are not the biggest priority, because guess what? Beauty fades in everyone. Physical, the, the, look at anybody that got married and look at them on their 30th or 40th or 50th wedding anniversary photos, they all look very different. If all that you, if the whole basis of your relationship is external, that's a really weak foundation. But date with prayer. Have you asked God about this and God to guide you? When I was in college and Tiffany and I were dating, my whole junior year, I believe it was, there was one day a week that I would fast from, from uh, morning till night. I wouldn't, and I would pray. And, I would, and my prayer during that time was, God, you know that I love Tiffany, and I believe that she's who you would have me to marry, but God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And so, God, if she's not the right mate for me, I want you to close that door. By the way, the summer after that, uh, the summer after that year, I believe, she broke up with me, and we were apart for three months. And I've told that story before. I won't tell it again, because I don't want to start crying tonight. <laughs> she broke my heart. And... Uh, I've been trying to get her to make up for it ever since. But, but it was, I, I remember, and it was a hard prayer to pray. But God truly, in the long run, I want what you want more than what I want. Now, this is what I want. I believe it's what you have, but if it's not, would you close that door? Date with parents' blessing, with prayer. Why is that? It's a, it's a bigger decision, a spiritual priority. And then date with actions that please God. Grow together spiritually, mentally, emotionally, before you grow together physically. What does the world do? The world puts the physical first. In dating, in, in what we're seeking, in what we're watching online, it's all physical. And when you put the physical first in a dating relationship, you short-circuit God's plan for you to get to know each other on all of these other levels. Because guess what? Uh, especially, I've never been a lady, but I can say for a guy, for a young man, when the physical gets involved, that's all the young man can think about. He cannot think on a spiritual level, deeply, emotional level. And when that happens, when you put that first, what it is, it's a huge fire. 
It's a flame. It sets that relationship on fire, but it's like when you make a fire with kindling and with newspaper, it gets big really fast, and then it dies out. And it's only as big and as strong as the physical side of the relationship is, and then what we realize is, I never really got to know that person on a spiritual level. I never really shared my heart on a personal, practical, emotional level. We never got to know each other in these other ways. What is God's plan? God's plan is get to know each other on all these other ways. When you come together, then you've already got a fire going, and it's a strong fire, and then you pour gasoline on that fire within the bonds of marriage, and it's a beautiful thing. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to be appropriate. I know we've got children and teenagers here, but marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. It's a beautiful gift from God. That the world has perverted, and Satan has said, take that first, take that, and then what happens is we take that, and then we cast them aside, and then we look for someone else, and we take that, and we cast them aside, and God says, don't do that. Date in the right ways with actions that please God. God's Word still teaches the physical relationship should be only within the bonds of marriage. May I say this, if you're dating now or you're about to, don't do anything in that relationship that you would regret or that they would regret if you don't end up marrying them. Because guess what? There's a chance you may not end up marrying them. Well, we got engaged. There have been broken engagements. I'm not going to have that happen. I could probably ask for a raise of hands. In this room, there would be broken engagements represented. So when you're dating, don't do anything that if you should not marry, you would have regrets or that person would have regrets. Treat that person that you're dating the way you would want someone to treat your sibling or your future son or daughter. Put up boundaries. Welcome accountability. Place no confidence in the flesh. Satan is real and would love to derail your life before you ever really get your life started. And so date in the right ways. Esau dated in the wrong ways. He dated based on the flesh. What looked good to him? What made him feel good? Wasn't that his track record all the way through? Why did he sell his, his, um, his birthright? Because he wanted to have something that tasted good for the moment. So he gave up what, what was good for the long term. And I heard one preacher say it this way, don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. And that's what Esau did. He gave up what mattered most for what he wanted in the moment. So date for the right purpose at the right time with the right person in the right way. And when you do that, the Bible says this, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Marriage is a blessing, but it also says it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a wide house with a brawling woman. It's all about finding the right mate, and it's the most important decision any of us will make after salvation. So don't make it just because they're pretty or handsome or you have fun together or they make you feel good because it will make or break your life in so many ways. I, I, I skipped over a quote at the beginning of my message that Titus recently sent to our family thread. He read somewhere, and this idea of where will your choices lead you, he sent us this text that said, every choice you make is a vote for the type of person you will become. Where are your choices leading you? Why did Esau go so far differently from Jacob? He chose the wrong relationships. That was my longest point, let me wrap it up. Number two, he chose the wrong surroundings. Look at verse number six. 
please. Genesis 36, verse number 6. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance which he had got in the land of Canaan. Notice where he was. He was in the right place. He was in the, he had some children born in Canaan. He was where God had told his family to dwell. And he went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. God had given the promised land of Canaan as an inheritance for Isaac's sons. This is where Esau should have lived, but instead he chose to surround his family with unbelievers. He moved away from the place that God wanted them to live. He moved to be surrounded by people who had no spiritual desires. And may I just stop and say for all of us, we need to take inventory. What context, what environments are we surrounding ourselves in? What friendships are we allowing in? What social networks are we engrossing ourselves in? Who are we spending the most time with? Esau, God had a place of promise, a place of blessing that he wanted him to live in. And Esau said, you know what? This is better for, my, for me financially. This is better for my business. This is better for my family. I don't have to deal with these other things. I'm going to surround myself in a place that knows nothing of God. He chose wrong surroundings. The Bible still says evil communications corrupt good manners. That doesn't mean evil speaking. Evil communications means evil relationships corrupt good manners. Young people, do you know that one wrong friend can undo in in a few moments or a few hours or maybe a few weeks what your parents have invested in you for years and for decades? The wrong relationship can lead you down a whole different path. Be careful of your relationships and be careful of your surroundings. Because what we allow into our hearts and our minds will come out in our actions. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What we put in comes in our influences, comes out in our actions. Be careful of the surroundings that you place yourself and your family. It's one reason for us, and everybody has to make a decision for themselves, but for us, why we've had our children in a Christian school since kindergarten, and we have encouraged our children to go to Christian colleges. I realize that the surroundings don't guarantee godliness. I know people that are sitting in jail today that went through Christian school from kindergarten through 12th grade and graduated from Bible college. I realize surroundings do not guarantee godliness. There are some amazing Christians and Christian leaders and pastors that have attended public schools and secular universities. So I'm not saying it is a sin to go to these places. What I am saying is the Bible does still tell us that Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day in seeing and in hearing their evil deeds. Lot lost his family because he put them in the wrong surroundings. And there are many a young person that has gotten into the wrong surroundings, whether it be in in a school situation a college situation, a work situation, a social situation, a dating situation, and it has sent them down a whole nother road. Why? Why? Because our surroundings matter. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And I didn't, I didn't even think about this while I was studying. I just thought about it. There are some, I know some wonderful young people sitting in this room that do not right now attend a Christian school. And I've recently praised their parents for the priorities that they've made and the way they're bringing them up. So I don't want anybody to mistake that I'm trying to put some guilt trip. You have to raise your family in every single detail that I do. No, but we do need to be aware, all of us, whether it's a young person, a teenager, or a senior citizen, what are our our surroundings? Who are we allowing to influence us? 
What, where, what are we? That's why I love the fact that anybody that's listening to me tonight, you have chosen, I want my family in church Sunday morning and Sunday night. Why? Surroundings matter to us. Our influences, the, who we're around, who we're being influenced by. Don't fool yourself that your surroundings don't matter. Well, church on Sunday, and I can go out to the club with my friends on Monday. Church, I'm going to go to community group on Wednesday, and I've just got this group. We go out to the casino or gambling. We have poker night on Thursday, and, and we just crack open a few beers. You do what you want to do. I'm just telling you, your surroundings matter. Don't think those don't have an influence. Your social circle matters. Your children's activities matter. Your church involvement matters. The friends you welcome into your lives matter. The entertainment and music you allow into your life matters. Your social media following matters. Your surroundings matter. What happened here? Esau went completely away from God. Jacob went there. What happened? Three decisions that will decide where we go. Number one, he chose wrong relationships in friendships and in marriage. Number two, he chose wrong surroundings. God had a place for him to be, and he went where it felt better, where it was easier, where it was more profitable for him. And then lastly, look at verse number seven. Notice why he made the decision for those surroundings. Verse number seven. For their riches were more than that they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. By the way, Esau thought that they both couldn't survive. I'm pretty sure both Esau and Jacob could have survived in Canaan. I think there was enough grass for all their cows. But why did Esau choose to move his family into wrong surroundings? Number three, he made a decision with wrong priorities. He chose money over family. He chose pleasure over God's plan. He chose finances over being in the middle of God's will. He chose comfort over God. He chose success over spiritual things. Esau, going all the way back to when he sold his birthright or gave it it away, could only see what was in front of him, what would make him feel good today. He chose the short term over the long term. I'm going to live here because it's good for my business. I don't care if it's not where God wanted me to live. I don't care if it means I don't ever see my brother Jacob again. I don't care about any of that. I'm going to choose the the temporary over the eternal. I'm going to choose the superficial over the important. That's what Jacob did. He had wrong priorities. What does the Bible say in Matthew 6, verse 33? But seek ye what? The kingdom of and his righteousness. And all these things, what are these things? These things we worry about, our finances, our material needs, how our needs are going to be met, our clothing, our business. All these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first. Thou shalt have no other God before me. I am the Lord thy God. I'm a jealous God. I want to have first place. That in all things, in all things, he might have the preeminence. He doesn't just want priority in your life. He wants preeminence. He doesn't just want a top spot in your life. He wants first place in your life. How are our priorities? You know what an idol is? All of us, none of us really see ourselves as idol worshipers. Because I doubt that any of us have some statue sitting in our room, in our house that we light incense to, and we put an apple next to that it never eats, but we just put it there until it rots, thinking it's somehow not eating it. I don't know what they're thinking there, but... 
No, no, prob- I, I'd be surprised if anyone in this room or anyone watching right now, maybe there's some, but I'd be surprised. So none of us think we're idol worshipers because none of us in the morning get down, I would, I would imagine none of us get down and pray before some statue in our living room. But do you know that at times your pastor has been an idol worshiper? And probably you as well. Because what is an idol? An idol is anything that takes priority over God. Anything that receives our affection and our worship more than God. Anything that governs our life more than God is an idol. Really good things can become idols in our lives. You know, for pastors, their role as pastor can become an idol because it comes, becomes about their power and their influence and their name. And so pastoring can become an idol to a Christian pastor. And children can become an idol. And work, work is good. The Bible says that man should work and work can become an idol when it receives our attention and our affection and our, our priority over the things of God. It has become an idol. And, he, and he, what happened here, he chose the wrong surroundings because he had the wrong priorities. You want to know what your priorities are? Study your spending and your calendar, your spending and your schedule. If you want to know what your priorities are, look at your spending and your schedule. What do you spend your time and money on? That's what matters most to you. Didn't Jesus say, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? Where, you're, where you spend your money and your time, that, those are your biggest priorities. For me, I, I want to, I pray that my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my church and God's people here, my relationship and service to God, I hope that is where the vast majority of my time and money goes, to God and family. I'm not against hobbies. Uh, one of my hobbies would probably be sports. We watched the 49ers game this afternoon. We went to a, a 49 Sammy's excited because their backup QB beat our backup QB. Great job. Your third string got a win. First time in five and a half years against the Niners in regular season. Don't give me that come on right there, all right? <laughs> Nobody cares about week 18. We were resting all of our starters. But back to see, he starts attacking my idol. I get mad. And, uh, and, and so I'm all, I'm, I'm all for that. But you know, often folks will ask me, what's your hobby? And I'll often say, you know what, honestly, just whatever's happening with my family, whatever's happening at my church. And I'm not against hunting or golfing or fishing. I do some of those things over the Christmas break. Uh, we, went to, we went to a professional hockey game. We went to a professional basketball game. We went to a professional football game. We enjoy those things. And we, we went out to eat and had some fun. And we've gone to Disneyland. All of those things are fine. But we need to be careful where's our priority. All of those things can become idols in our lives. And, and they can become wrong priorities. For me, I hope the vast majority of my time and money goes to God and family. If it's all about self or pleasure or amusement or sin, my priorities are out of whack. So here's my challenge. Where are your decisions leading you? For Esau, you can read the genealogies on your own. We won't read the rest of the chapter. For Esau, he made some decisions with wrong relationships, took wives of the daughters of Canaan, he made some decisions with wrong surroundings. He left where God had him to be and went where was better for him financially, was more comfortable for him. He made wrong decisions and priority. He chose money over family, chose money over God's plan. Guard your relationships, guard your friends. Young people, guard your heart in dating. Keep your heart, your mind pure, your body pure. Guard yourself, guard your surroundings. 
Guard your influence. Guard your priorities. And here, can I say this as we close? If you will choose the right relationships, the right surroundings, keep yourself where you're supposed to be, the right priorities, seeking first the kingdom of God, I guarantee you, you'll end up with the right future. In 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now, you'll find yourself in the right place with the right people, enjoying the blessings of God unlike anything this world has to offer. You'll be joyful and fulfilled in your life doing the right things, but you've got to guard and make a choice with the right relationships, the right surroundings. What do we always say? Oh, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I never intended to get caught up in that, but a fight broke out. I was at the, I just ended up at the, in this bar at the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, guess how you can stay away from that very often? Keep yourself out of the wrong place. And you'll save yourself a whole lot of heartache by staying out of the wrong place. You won't have to worry about if you're there at the right time or the wrong time. Esau and Edom, mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. Jacob and Israel, mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. One, if you went around today and said to the average person, if you went over to Starbucks after church, hey, have you ever heard of the Edomites? Do you know where the people of Edom lived? They'd look at you like you're crazy. If you said, have you, ever heard of the Isra- have you ever heard of Israel? Do you know where that is? Probably everybody would know it. Their family continues to this day and in many ways has blessed the world through the coming of the Savior of Messiah and actually has blessed the world in many other ways with, with business and technology and other things that have come out of Israel in different fields. One is largely forgotten and non-existent today. The other is still being used of God today. Ultimately, It was an Edomite king, a descendant of Esau by the name of Herod the Great, who exterminated the babies in Bethlehem in his attempt to kill the king of kings. The ultimate sons of Esau and Jacob, one Herod the Great, the other Jesus the king, testify to the significance of the paths that we choose. Where are your decisions leading you? Choose the right relationships in the right surroundings with the right priorities, and you'll be so glad you did five, 10, 50 years from now. Choices by two men led to two very different destinies for their lives and the lives of those they loved. How are you doing in those three areas? In relationships, is there one you need to get out of your life? Is there one you need to put into your life? Do you need to allow some godly people to speak into your life? Surroundings, is there a place or an activity you need to stop frequenting? Priorities, is God getting your first and your best? Is money more important than family? Is is comfort more important than God? Is pleasure more important than purpose? You will never change your life until you change your daily choices. Where are your decisions leading you? By the way, for any of us that have been along this road of life for any length of time, we can look back and we can kind of condemn ourselves, saying, well, some of the struggles I'm in today are because of some of the bad decisions I'm in today. For that, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That is why there's forgiveness and there's mercy and there's grace and God can use our mess and make it a message. God can take what, the, the ways we messed up and turn it into a testimony and allow him to do that. So don't beat yourself up over this. I wish I would have heard this message 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Well, you didn't. 
And by the way, I have some things that I wish I had done differently too. But this is a challenge for all of us today. All we can do today is make decisions from today. Where are our decisions from today going to lead us tomorrow? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.